My name is Steve, and I'm grateful that you have gathered with us this morning. These last few weeks, we have been traveling through a message series called The Free Methodist Way, Five Values Shaping the Free Methodist Identity. We have uh, leaned into life-giving holiness and uh, love-driven justice so far. If you have not uh, heard these messages, I would just encourage you to uh, check them out. Uh, listen to them as uh, they are the uh, values uh, that are behind what the Free Methodist Church is about in the world. And we want to encourage you in that. Today we lean into and listen to and we are going to learn to live by the Holy Spirit what the Bible reveals to us about Christ-compelled multiplication. This morning, would you uh, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word of a couple of passages we're going to read this morning, one from Matthew 28, which is going to be very familiar, and then uh, from Acts 1, 1 through 5. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And then turning over just a little bit in your Bibles, if you have one, open to Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, and after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, and after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Father, would you take this word, would you allow us to hear the words not given from a man or not from a page? but through your spirit. May we learn to embrace them, not just as a consent of the head, but of of a life lived out. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I have a multiplication story for you. It's a story of apples. Go figure, huh? You know, how many seeds does an apple have in it? Well, between three and five seeds in every apple, between three and five. Now, if we took those three seeds and and planted those, uh, or took five seeds and uh, we cultivated them, and out of that came three trees, we would be able to produce at the very minimum through some good agricultural practices a minimum of 200 apples per tree. Pretty incredible, right? That's each tree. But you and I just realized, whoa, wait a second. 
we have, we have only three trees out of the five we planted. Could we get more? Could we put, really, could we multiply our opportunities here? See, we, we have enough to bake pies and applesauce and apple butter and apple strudel and apple muffins and apple cookies and you name it. We, we realize that we could do all of this, but we could actually allow the opportunity for others to have the same opportunities to eat apples and have it to their delight. So we wanted to feed other people. So we commit to growing more trees. So we have, out of those three trees, right, we have, let's say, a minimum of 600 apples. We decide out of those 600 apples that, every, uh, that we're going to plant two trees for every apple. It's an incredible endeavor, but it's possible. It really is. We would then have 1,200 trees in our orchard. Now, it's a beautiful sight if you've ever been in an orchard. Look down the rows. Uh, the fragrance is coming soon of those apple blossoms, by the way. But what if, out of those 1,200 trees, we only have 200 apples off of each tree? You, do you realize how many apples we would then have? An exponential amount, a multiplication figure that is just incredible. 240,000 apples, we then commit some other ways that we want to see this replication over and over again. Now, while we, when we get into our story, don't hold me to every facet of this agricultural illustration. Please do not. Yet, I believe some very basic uh, basic uh, ideas of multiplication reside here. Especially if we take what Kathy shared with us last week, that every individual person is an image bearer of the Holy One. And we see and see the seed of potential in each and every person we would ever come across as being able to produce unboundless fruit, not only abiding with the Father, but actually reproducing who they are from the Father to other people. It is an incredible thing. It is an incredible thing. Well, just to kind of pull it back into the free Methodist realm a little bit, uh, which we believe sits within the kingdom soundly, in this idea of Christ-compelled multiplication, Larry Walkemeyer, our newly appointed co-strategic catalyst for multiplication of Three Methodist Church, writes this about our history. In 1890, B.T. Roberts, our denomination's founder, seemed to forcefully say, let the bands play. Now, hopefully you'll pick up on this and I'll explain. Roberts was an ardent ardent supporter of the Free Methodist Pentecost bands. And yes, did I say Pentecost? I did within the Free Methodist Church. A little bit of the charismatic within us that carries on. These are small bands of zealous evangelists and church leaders. These bands primarily consisted of ordinary lay people, both women and men, especially young people. Their faith, creativity, and passion were contagious. These bands were rapidly bringing in the music of salvation and holiness to unreached peoples. Can you see it? 
One apple produces a tree. One apple produces a tree. In 1890, the General Conference, uh, General Conference uh, new leaders sought to squelch the work of the Pentecost bands, which Vivian Dake founded. Roberts argued to let the bands play, and he was deeply disillusioned when they were regulated instead. As equally disappointing to Roberts, uh, at the 1890 conference was the narrow defeat of his resolution to ordain women. These sisters who had been so instrumental in spreading the gospel and establishing new churches were regulated to second-class status in the mission of the church. Since that conference, the full empowerment of women has, a, has been a significant yet inadequately, con inadequately confronted the barrier to multiplication. Perhaps Roberts felt so passionate about these two issues because he saw them in the shift from a gospel movement to a gospel institution. From multiplication to maintenance, while reflecting on the results of the 1890 decision to legislate the Pentecost bans, Dr. David McKenna writes in a, in a future of, with a history that the fires of aggressive evangelism characterized free Methodism during the first 30 years of its history were banked, if not snuffed, out. Dake died in 1892, and Roberts died in 1893, just one year before the next general conference. So what, is that, what am I saying? For those of us who have been longtime free Methodists or have been inside the institution of a church, whether it's free Methodist or not, we have all seen and experienced some of the same kind of things. But within our denomination, within 30 years of the established denomination, which was in 1860, there was a fast-growing edge to our denomination where new births, uh, this new fruit, and, and new things were happening. I mean, not just births, but where people stepped, the kingdom would emerge because they had a heart to doing what God wanted to see done. Yet there was a move to control there was a move to squelch it. Well, why? Because when things move that fast and they're, they're lit on fire by God, I will say, they get just a tad bit messy. And for those of us who like to see things neat and tidy and in control, ah, we tend to try to take control. All of this, I believe, the Pentecost bands were God-honoring to the harvest, honoring the God of the harvest. We can all tell, right, friends, when, when there's a fresh new work in our world, whether it's a business or a movement, and then it moves into maintenance, don't, can't we? We can see it. We can document when a business is on the exciting edge of newness, and then it moves into caring for what they've created instead of being driven by the mission of which they were founded. The core values that drive an organization at first may be written on the walls in these organizations, but if we're not careful, those values can stay on the wall and not drive the, the big questions of the org that started it in the very beginning, that led to uh, maybe some uh, mistakes in judgment even. I'm blurring the lines on purpose so you grasp what I'm trying to say. And I think how the Lord works. Those lines of business, your first love in your salvation with Jesus. Do you remember those days? It was fresh and new. 
You weren't tired. You weren't going, oh, I have to go to church again. Right? It's, it's, it's a movement within you. It illustrates, and some of you are, are just contending with Scripture, contending with God instead of allowing the flow of the Spirit move you. All of them have similar markers while one's driven by God, the creator of heaven and earth. While we're not all, all of us are, not all of us are spiritually gifted as evangelist friends, we are all called by Jesus to make, disciple, to make disciples, to followers of Jesus. This is a non-negotiable. We don't like to always look at it that way, but it is a non-negotiable in the process of being called a follower of Jesus if you so call yourself. Let's remind ourselves from Matthew 28 where Jesus, prior to his parting ways with his disciples on earth before he ascended, after he rose from the grave, speaks into them. This is significant, friends. When a dead man speaks to you, you listen. (laughs) And you take heed of what he says. Whether you believe in him or not, really. We can go into the history at another time, but there's a lot of truth to this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has died on the cross, he was buried, and now is alive with them, standing on a mountain, told exactly where he told them to go. And if you're here this morning and wondering about Jesus, you're not alone. I mean, wondering, like questioning, doubting. You're not alone because those who saw him were even doubting. So, friends, you're invited into the circle, whether you want it to be or not. I include you. Welcome. They doubted. This is normal, by the way, for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Uh, long time or short time. We can drive down the road and have these fleeting thoughts of, like, what am I doing? It's real. It's okay, but you pursue Jesus in them as he encouraged them to do and I encourage you to do. But what does he say to them? All authority has been given to me. Heaven, heaven and earth authority. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? He has defeated death. He has he conquered the grave. I mean, he has the authority. What does that mean to us? That means we have been given authority to multiply. We have been given authority to multiply. Listen, listen to what what he says. Even if we doubt, we can speak and speak through this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. For many of us who are followers, we hear this, but how often do we consider this? How often do we pause and consider what Jesus has uh, gifted to us, uh, compelled upon us, commissioned us to do? Have you sidelined yourself in this? So he tells us to go. Did you catch it? It's not did you go, but are you going? So, 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 so some of us, I think, we have found ourselves in a place where we, I did Sunday school, I did youth group, I did that thing called small group, I did those things, but Jesus doesn't 
commissioned those things. He commissions us to be going and making disciples when and how often? Continuously. It is a part of our DNA. It is a part of our identity as followers of Jesus. If we claim to have Jesus, we then share Jesus wherever we go. We are the aroma, the offering of Christ to those around us. It's our fashioning our lives in such a way that that when the world encounters us, they don't encounter us. They encounter the Jesus within us who uses us and and really makes us the better us than we could ever be. I mean, it is incredible. So what does this look like? Uh, Practically, when you go to the grocery store, you think you're there to pick up those essential foods for your pantry, right? You know, your kids have asked you for this, or you have a drive for ice cream, which happens to, uh, not so much Kathy, but me, you know, I'm I'm like, there, you know, I'm I'm standing in front of it, and somebody walking by. You think you're there for that. Jesus says, no. Yeah, okay, grab the ice cream. But who's walking by you? Who, Who do you notice? Are you prayed up? Are you ready to go to the store by the Spirit? How about when you go to the coffee shop? You're not just there to get that caffeine quick fix, but to give life. And maybe, yeah, a little pick-me-up on the way while you're there, too, with the caffeine. I don't know. But have, are we in the place and space where we're asking God to illuminate, to show us, you know, who needs Jesus? Who needs the words of life? Who needs me to step in and step through to show them what it is that a follower does. It is noticing what God is doing, what people are saying, where they're going, the things of culture are ours to learn. It's not just mine, those paid and vocations, but ours is, the, ours is a calling of missionary work. And when I mean missionary, I don't mean it Uh, truncated. I mean this whole life, ours is to be about what is happening around us and how does Jesus want me to interact with it? How am I going to make, how, what, what do my neighbors actually need? What is it that my babysitter actually whom uh, I love but she doesn't know Jesus or whatever the case, I mean what do they need and what is the good news for them? We have to learn if we're going to be a part of the kingdom of God and followers of Jesus that this this commission, this compelling of Jesus that, that he has placed within us and he has placed upon us has to come with a new set of glasses. Not yours or not mine, but his. The ability to see where Jesus is at work and where he wishes to start a new work, a new birth, a new life, to put some seeds in the ground that somebody else may come along and cultivate and water and plant. It's our job to do that, friends. So when we, when we come to live out this Christ-compelled multiplication, not addition, to love all people with the greatest love this world has ever known, we can come under, we can come under it 
with this idea that we can enculturate what the kingdom is to be about in us and through us. Uh, Larry Walkemeyer, quoting Dawson, Dawson Trotman, says this, Dawson Trotman, the founder of Nav- Navigators, used to say, you haven't made a disciple until your disciple makes a disciple. I'll just pause there. How are you doing? You can contend with it, but how are you doing with this? This is the one key, Larry says this, this is the one key disciple-making shift that transformed disciple-making from addition to multiplication, from incremental growth to radical movement. And even if you're focused, let me just put it this way, even if your focus is only your children, have they made a disciple? And have their disciples made other disciples? But it should be beyond that. It needs to be beyond that because our world is bigger than that. It flows in other ways. So how can we move from addition to multiplication because we can't do it by sheer willpower or even with a great strategic plan that we post everywhere in our walls? How do we do this? Can I just tell you it's by the spirit of the living God. Not by the knowledge of what God has commissioned us to do, but how Jesus commissioned us and with whom he commissioned us to do it. This is why we turn to Luke, uh, the very one who wrote the gospel, writes the Acts of the Apostles. Dr. Luke captures uh, this storyline for somebody named Theophilus and the details of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in Luke, and then he continues to go on with the storyline Stating in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, I think that's pretty key that Luke keeps that in there. He says this. It's not just by Jesus telling them, but it's through the Holy Spirit that he instructs them because the heart has to be changed, friends, and the only way the heart can be, had, can be changed is not by my words, but by the Spirit that lives within the space of your heart. And Jesus even knew this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over over 40 days and spoke of the kingdom of God. So after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus showed himself to the disciples, the apostles. By the way, apostles means sent ones. Friends, this is why there's a shift from disciples to sent ones and you'll You'll find it here. In this, he gives them instructions and a command to wait for the promise of the spiritual baptism which was coming. It's coming. If if you want to read more about the, the promise that is spoken about, you can read John 14. It's a great place to start. But he goes on. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, this authority that granted, this authority that was granted to Jesus over all realms, heaven and earth, which was won definitively through his death and resurrection, he, he desired to pass on to those who would intentionally follow him. And I am using that word intentionally on purpose 
You put yourself in the category where you fit. But they were to wait. Turn a page over to Acts chapter 2. And guess what happens during Pentecost? The Spirit lit them up. Literally, he lit them up. Tongues of fire resting on each one that were there and, and empowered them to live courageously the life Jesus promised to them and the commission he gave to them. This abundant life was not to be held but to be given away. It's a promise that we, we get to seed anywhere we go. He knew they needed empowerment. I would argue a, a, a little bit, and you've heard me argue this, that even Jesus needed empowerment in his, at the beginning of his ministry. He needed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in his baptism dropped on him. Just this, you know, this beautiful scene, right? We need that empowerment. So as followers, if you have said yes to Jesus, can I just tell you, you have been empowered by the Spirit of the living God. It's not about you to do this task. It is about Jesus himself through you in his spirit to do this wonderful thing. We need this. Because in our own labors, the commission that Jesus has called us to is tiring. It is tiring even with the spirit, but it's even more so, and it leads to distorted ways of thinking about the world around us and even those who are with, with us without the Spirit. It's the only way to multiplication. Let's take a look at a few numbers found in Jesus' own ministry, just for the fun of it. Not to, not to lead you into discouragement. We'll get to that in a second. Check this out. The way of Jesus in three plus years, Jesus, he's only one, but he invites 12. Those 12 quickly move to 72, the other disciples, right? We don't really have a name for them. In the upper room, there's 120 of them, which the Spirit lit up, with, uh, Spirit lit up and, and gave them empowerment. And from there, you hardly can see it. I'm sorry about that. 3,000 at Pentecost that raised their hand at Peter's <laughs> scathing sermon, by the way scathing sermon who said so what should we do and he said repent and be baptized you can read the rest of the acts of the apostles but it is an incredible story of not addition but multiplication it is an incredible story of taking jesus at his word setting aside our own fears our own doubts our own uh, you know trepidations but you get to see the smattering of people that even deal with some of that in the storyline of acts read it quickly it reads better than any book you can pick up off the shelf at your local books, well, you can pick the Bible up off the local bookstore, but it reads wonderfully and powerfully. But this is one I want to tell you, even about those numbers. We're not Jesus, but we are spirit-empowered followers who follow in his footsteps, and he has promised us that he'll be with us as we go and make disciples of all nations. Friends, we were reminded on Friday night 
rightly so, by, uh, by Reverend Mellinger, Al Mellinger, who said, the nations are at our doorstep. You live in Ann Arbor or Ipsy, the nations are at our doorstep. I don't know how God fulfills all his promises, but that one, we can kind of see it's coming to us. We just have a wonderful opportunity. Not too far into into the Acts of the Apostles, there are these powerful words which baffle many of us, but are incredibly motivating, encouraging, and courageous. It's the last sentence of chapter 2. And the Lord added to to their number daily those who were being saved. So beyond the 3,000, these people spread out and they preached or shared the good news of Jesus and invited them back. This is how I imagine it, and this is what it really kind of tells us. Invited them back into their, their small groups that were meeting and their numbers just began to grow. They just began to multiply. Can you imagine it? Ipsy, neighborhood by neighborhood. (laughs) Our zip codes being just inundated with the gospel, with the good news. With, with the invitations shaped in the way the Lord of the harvest through the Holy Spirit would direct you? The reason I say that is because Michael Green, a church historian, writes this. This sharing of the gospel must have, must have been not formal preaching, but informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances and homes and wine shops on walks and around market stalls. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. This is the only time I think you probably should be gossiping. It is the only time you should be gossiping. They did it naturally, enthusiastically, with conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Period. Yeah, sorry. Not say that sort of thing, period. Consequently, they were taken seriously in the movement and the movement spread. Sorry about that. But friends, we're not there. At least not all of us, right? We're not gossiping about the gospel. Not sharing the good news. Well, and I would like to just contain it to the last few years a little bit. Can we do that? I don't know where your heart is on the idea of evangelism. But this is the reality as we consider our next steps. We're we're distracted people. Uh, That's putting some things nicely, I think. When we walk, when I, sometimes when I walk from one room to another, I can, I, I can easily not remember why I'm even there. Yep, maybe I'm that old. Or when we go to the store, we, we are going in to get one or two items. Have you ever had this happen? You go in to get one or two items and other things you see, then you go, oh, I can pick up that. And then when you get home, you realize the very thing that you're supposed to pick up, you didn't pick up. 
<laughs> yeah, you're not the only one. It's okay to confess these things. Bishop Keith Cowart speaks to one of the greatest distractions over the last couple of years. He says, I have often wondered what it would look like if we had as much passion for Jesus and his kingdom as we do for our views on issues that have dominated our world over the past 12 months. COVID restrictions, racial tensions, partisan politics. What would happen in our churches and through our ministry family if we all got on our knees, asked God to forgive us for being distracted by non-essential issues and totally devoted ourselves to knowing Jesus Christ and making him known throughout the world. And he asked this question, what is keeping us from doing exactly that? Friends, one of the reasons we are so easily distracted, I think, and scripture tends to point at, is that we need to return to our first love. We need to return to our first love. Revelation 2 one through four says, one through five says this to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lamps, seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, and I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and yet and have endured hardships for my names and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I would not prophetically say that that's happened through this pandemic, but maybe it has happened in many different situations where uh, church assemblies have forgotten their first love and the lampstand that was theirs is gone. Communally, whether this is you personally, we need to repent and return to our first love. We are too concerned with the distracting aspects of our lives and not concerned enough and take Jesus and his commission seriously enough. Uh, Repenting, what is this? Let me fill it in with some just probably more casual type words. Repenting is just confessing. It's telling God what he already knows about ourselves. That's when we repent, we confess. And when we confess, we tell him what he already knows. We are really doing this as a healing to our own hearts, uh, to our own lives, whether it be us personally or even communally. We tell him, oh God, we have fallen. It's not our first love And repenting is then turning and doing what he has commissioned us to do in this case. It's following him into the commission of going and making disciples everywhere we go, everything, every every situation we're in. So we need to confess our distractions. I know mine, and maybe it is this universal one of the pandemic. But I believe that the Spirit 
can tell you yours. Your great distraction of your heart. We need to confess it. And then to decide with, with his hearing that you're going to turn to him and follow him into his great commission. Not just to come and go, do church, but to truly follow him into the field he's called us to harvest. But I think a part of this comes from rekindling our first love. Do you remember those days? Those those first moments, those first months, or those first years when you gave your heart to Jesus and you couldn't help but to tell your neighbors, your, your, your classmates, whoever was around you that, you know what, Jesus has been so good. Hey, can I, can I tell you about it? How the conversation travels between you and the other person needs to be individual and it needs to be spirit-directed. But I remember those days, and there have been often times I've had, to, I've had to get before the Lord and confess and repent, get back on track, back on path with him. Say, oh, Lord, return your first love for you and for those you have sent to me. This is what we know. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent his son before we even knew it. I think that's a part, for me, that's a part of my first love. It's like, oh, Lord, you love me. You love me just where I am, just as I am, and you'll use me in that, empowered by his spirit. What about you, friends? Let's walk into a a season of prayer right now. Father, as I think about that mountainside conversation, that empowering mountainside conversation, and then those moments uh, as, as the apostles were in Jerusalem, and the implications of your faith you have in us the distracted ones Father thank you for the faith you have in us to be your embodied and empowered people to live out your kingdom call and your commission to go make disciples to share what you have so lavishly put in us and given to us Father, would you forgive us for our distractions? Friends, just the distraction that comes to mind, just offer it to him right now. Asking to forgive you from diverting yourself from the essential to non-essentials in your life.
And then in this next moment with, in prayer between you and the Lord, as you've confessed your distraction, you've sought his forgiveness, decide with him now to be devoted to his commission to go and make disciples. And then remembering that the Spirit's indwelling is the empowerment of our ability to go and make disciples, to be Jesus' witnesses in all the world. Ask him, ask the Spirit for a fresh and filling in these moments. Father, we, we need a fresh and filling of your spirit to live the life that you have called us to live. We, we need a fresh and filling of your spirit to be able to notice those people around us and what you're doing. Father, we need a fresh and filling of your spirit to stay devoted to you. So, Father, I pray in these moments this morning, would you, would you remind us of, of your faithfulness to us? It's not about us gritting our sheer will and ways to see it done but it is in this deep dependence upon you to direct our paths, direct our noticings, to direct us towards those and to be able to say and be who you've called us to be. So that, Father, we can enjoy the fruit the fruit of a harvest you promised not to just the apostles then, but to us now and today. Grow in us a sensitivity, Father, for your working. Lord, as we read in the Acts of the Apostles, we read the, just this, this story that unfolds in ways that are incredible, incredibly powerful, incredibly encouraging. And we read about the church that you, through those there, built for us to enjoy today. Yet, Father, would you allow us to have a vision of what it means to build your church today for those that are coming behind us tomorrow? Lord, I... 
I think of those who not literally built the church in this place here, but Father gave of their, they really gave of their life blood to you in order to build a church that has stood. And Father, we need a fresh feeling, a fresh vision of what you wish to do in us personally and Father, how you wish to flow through us communally to create rivers of life Mm. thank you Father thank you for calling us having faith in us Father may we be the embodiment of the empowered people you have called us to be to see Christ compelled multiplication in our day in our time Father we pray this In Jesus' powerful name, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the power that emboldened those acts of the apostles to act faithfully, we pray this in that power of your Son, our Savior's name. Amen.